Let's read the word of the Lord and then pray. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body, but to be home with the Lord. Father, give us ears to hear as we enter into this season, this time when people are speaking of you. Let us be bold and confident in what we speak. But Father, let what we speak be of your word, your truth. Father, help us. Help us to rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. Help us to have ears that we may compass the wonder of wonders, God incarnate, God redeeming his people. And Father, give us eyes to see that the sin that is rampant has always been. And yet, Father, we are here for such a time as this, to be a light, to be salt, lost and dying world. To your glory and to your praise in Christ's name. Amen. We are looking at four things in this text, and we're trying to get out of verse 1. We're making good progress. Verse 1 is basically, the next home is the best. And when I look at the Apostle Paul, I stepped into this a couple of weeks ago, and I've been dealing with it. But when I I look at this, I look at the priorities of the Apostle Paul. One were the rapture, two was death, and the third would be life. We usually get the second two twisted around. In some cases, we'll even move the, the rapture down. Okay, But Paul understood that if the second coming of Christ, we receive our resurrected body, that would be good. But if... I have to die before the second coming of Christ. Death is better. But for the sake of the saints, I will live here. And I think there's times that we get caught up in the things of this world and we miss this. He makes the statement here, if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. Uh, The word torn down means dismantled. Um, fold it up, fold it up. If it is done away with, Paul had already been taken a beating. Verse 12 of chapter four. So death works in us, but life in you. Verse 10, always caring about the body, the dying of Jesus. Paul was very, very aware, very in tune with at any moment He could die. And he based everything that if I die, if this tent is dismantled, that's a good thing. Okay, that it's funny if 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 you watch humanity. As we get older, 
Okay? And, and, and to use Paul's analogy, the tent becomes a little more worn. Okay? Death really doesn't bother us as much. When you're younger, you'll hear this statement. They have their whole life in front of them. Okay? Their tent's in good shape. All right? You got to be real careful about that. You got to be real careful about that. And the Apostle Paul is trying to get that across to us. That if the tent is dismantled, it's all right. To go over to Philippians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 12, and we'll conclude, everybody knows the verse. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But I think what happens to many of us is we read that verse and we go, Amen, brother. But you miss the context that began in verse 12, and it actually runs through verse 26. Now, I want you to know, brother, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Stop right there. Do you know what his circumstances are? He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Philippians is what is called one of the prison epistles. Okay? Now think about this for a second. How many of you are going to have this view? I'm chained to a soldier 24 hours a day, have absolutely no freedom whatsoever. But it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Really? Hmm. How is it for the furtherance of the gospel? Look what he says. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ, that's why he was in prison, for preaching the gospel, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorium Guard. Do you know who the Praetorium Guard is? Caesar's personal soldiers. <laughs> There's something that just makes me giggle. Because Caesar, for Caesar to be Caesar, you know what they say he is? God. And now his old bodyguard are being exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true God. I think that's funny. Some people think, well, that's just, no, nah, I think that's hilarious. Why? Right, God says, yeah, you think you're God? Wait till you get this memo. The Apostle Paul says that, you know what? Even though I am chained to a Roman soldier and I have lost my freedom to move about the civilized world, I'm still getting the gospel into the Praetorium Guard. And most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. They're saying, you know what? He wouldn't shut up and he went to jail for it. Why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? And I ask that myself on a regular basis. The same Holy Spirit that is in us today is the same Holy Spirit as in Paul. No, Paul's Holy Spirit was bigger than ours. None, is it? Same one. He looked at it and he says, I haven't stopped preaching the gospel, even though it's cost me my freedom. But you know what? These crazy people are stupid enough to chain a soldier on 12-hour shifts to my ankle. That's what you call captive audience. I think that's hilarious. And then he says... 
The word of my imprisonment has gotten out to the saints, and the saints are now what? More bold. Why? They've arrested Paul. Let us press on. But look what else he says. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. And some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Okay, what happens is he gets thrown in jail. Everybody says, see, he ain't called of God or he wouldn't been arrested. So they're preaching Christ out of envy, thinking that, you know, I must be doing it right because I'm not in jail. And Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in the pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. (laughs) Paul's looking at it. He's chained to a Roman soldier and he says, you know what? This is what my life is right now. And regardless of what they're doing... We win. I can't lose in this. That's why I try to get people to get into the book. If you get into the book and you roll out truth, it is not our responsibility what the response to the truth is. It is our responsibility to give truth. Period. And be unwavering in it. Even to, as Paul would state here, courageous in it. Even if it costs us Our freedom. Because we're giving truth. We're giving truth. Paul in verse 18 says, Yes, I will rejoice. I'm just trying to figure out being chained in prison for preaching of the gospel and rejoicing. It's sort of like Jesus heading for the cross, the suffering before him for its joy. What? Well, yeah, I'm going to redeem humanity. What joy there is in that. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, that's a cool word. You think about this. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. He doesn't know if, You know, they're going to lock him up for life or whatever they're going to do. What if they decide to take his life? Either way he looks at it, guess what? It's deliverance, freedom, my release. They take my body, what? Woohoo! Woohoo! Through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Then you have the verse. And you know the verse. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, when you look at the priority scale of the Apostle Paul, you first see the rapture. Then you say, okay, if 
I'm not going to be alive at the rapture. Death is better. Right? But seeing the saints step up and be stronger in the faith, preaching with boldness, some doing it out of love for Jesus Christ, some doing it out of envy, that's good too. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Even if I'm in bondage, in chains for the preaching of the gospel and the boldness of Jesus Christ in my life. But that's okay. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose. You ever thought about that? See, we get tangled up in the things of the world. And let's be realistic. We're moving through the temporal. And let me ask you a question. Is it fruitful labor? Does it grow and it's eternal? And that fruitful labor? The things of this world are perishing. Whatever you invest in it, it's only going to be temporary. That's why they call it the temporal. And he says, but if I'm still here, and I'm doing the things of Christ. Then the only thing I'm investing in is the eternals. And that's all right. That's all right. And see, what happens to you and I, we get to going through life. And the things of this world will bleed you to death. And when you're done, what do you have? Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. But the eternal things stand forever. I mean, yeah, this is such an amazing text. But we read it, it says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Okay, do you realize what he's saying? Because I needed you to see the context. He's in prison. He doesn't know the outcome of his imprisonment. And yet here he's just pushing it through saying, this is all right. The saints all have heard. I'm in jail for the gospel. Now they've become confident. They've become bold. Listen, if you get a Christian and you put fire on him and say, either shut up or die. And the Christian says, I'll be quiet. What is his testimony? Nothing. There's nothing there. Absolutely nothing there. But if you do it to the same Christian... I was reading about a China when the Chinese missionaries, when it was converting over to converting over. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? To communism. And they would surround the churches. And there was a church down south of Shanghai that the communists came in and they had pulled the cross off the top of the steeple and it had fallen down in the front door. And they said, now, here's the deal. You come out. Okay, they didn't have no weapons and they got soldiers outside. Okay, you come out, deny this belief, you're free to go. And then the officer is in charge, looked at it, he says, what I want you to do is when you come out, you step over the cross. You step over the cross. It's not that big a deal. Step over the cross. You go free. First guy out the door, he looked down at the cross, looked up at all the soldiers there with their rifles trained on him. He stepped over and walked into the crowd. Nothing was done. 
Second guy came out. Says, I cannot. And shot him where he stood. There he fell. 178 people's bodies were piled up on that cross. One walked over. You know what happened? That officer got saved. And he has noted this day to be one of the first and foremost founders of the church under the communist rule of China. Interesting concept. But all of those people had to die. Oh, you missed it. They only stepped into glory. But they had their whole lives in front of them. Now they only have eternity. But they could have. Now they're only sinlessly perfect. See, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to you and I this day. I am hard-pressed on both sides, both directions. Having desired to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus to my coming to you again. He said, you know what? Go back to the Corinthian letter. What does he say? Hey, if they want to fold up the tent, let them fold it up. They want to dismantle this. Let them go. Let them go. Because you know what? I'm looking for a permanent structure. I'm looking for a house that is not made with hands. And if you really think about it, what he's doing here is is a phenomenal picture. Because the bulk of the people who existed in the time of the writing of the New Testament, where did they live? Tents. They were nomadic. Okay, And only a few rich people and a few people who were, say, businessmen in cities had a permanent home, a permanent structure. And he's writing this, assuring them that there is a permanent house coming. Gladly I would leave my tent for a permanent building. Okay, what is this building? Okay, it's pretty simple to look at this and understand. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens. Okay, verse 14 of chapter 4. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will raise us also. With Jesus Christ. Now, the tragedy is, that's still in the same thought. It's coming out of verse 13. Okay, now, we've gone ahead and put chapter 5 start in there, so everybody thinks it misses, but the paragraph starts in 13 and doesn't wrap up until end of 10. 
So he's still on the same thought. So he's looking at a resurrection. The building, what is this? The tent is our physical body. Okay, this building that is made not with human hands, but by God is what we would classify as the glorified body. It replaces this tent. It replaces this one that will be folded up, the one that will be dismantled. See, he knew that there was a bodily resurrection coming. He's already spoke of it. Chapter 15 of of uh, 1 Corinthians is nothing but the resurrection. This is the best. This is where my longing is. This is where our longing should be. Now, I want to take you back to something that you, you all know, but I want to try to give you a little different insight into it. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Many of us have either used this verse or many of us have had this verse used on us. Okay. Verse 18, Romans 8. For I considering that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay. Now, this is very much like the second Corinthian letter. And it's fascinating. If you look at the chronological writings of the New Testament, you will find that Romans was written shortly within the year after 2 Corinthians. So, you know what that means? Circumstances hadn't really changed a lot for Paul. And so when he writes that verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, this is a person who says, you know what, I, I've got the market on sufferings of this time. Paul was in the middle of it. Yet he has the same mindset in Romans 8 that he has in 1 Corinthians, uh, even chapter 4. But I want you to look at something here because we miss some of this, okay? Because we like to roll that out. If, if we're dealing with somebody's hurting or if we're hurting, I consider the suffering of this present time not are not worthy to compare to the glory that is to be revealed. Look what verse 19 says. For the anxious longing of what? Creation waits eagerly for what? All right, the glory that is to be revealed to us is what? Glorified bodies. And he says, creation is anxious for us to get our glorified bodies. Why isn't cre- why aren't we anxious to get our glorified bodies? Creation wants it. There's an anxious longing of creation eagerly. Eagerly. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Now think about it. When you deal with the temporal, do you realize what you're fighting with? Futility. Futility. And all of creation was subjected to the futility. Not willingly. We did it 
willingly. Okay? And yet now we think we can conquer it. Really? Do you realize how much energy you spend a week trying to defeat futility? I remember growing up as a kid, I grew up back east. And um, we didn't know nothing about irrigation. There was no such thing as watering your yard. Uh, I, I remember putting up, hey, you got four cuttings a year, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> And I remember when I had the first traumatic experience of a child of cutting the grass. Okay, because we had probably a quarter acre lot and a push mower. Okay, and it was not uncommon to have to cut our grass twice a week. Okay, and it was just a thrill. You're just excited. And I kept thinking, this is futile. I cut it, it grows back. I cut it, it grows back. A good year in Colorado, I cut it once. On a good year. And if I find anybody watering, I'm killing them. I'm going to give them a pair of scissors, you cut it. But it's the futility of it. You don't get done cutting it. And you know what's amazing? Snow comes in in the winter. You get freezing and everything. In the spring, guess what? There's that stupid grass again. Here it goes. And a friend of mine, his dad understood that futility and he was a concrete guy. He took his front yard and concreted it and painted it green. The problem was it wasn't really a grass green. It was sort of, you got a deal on that color, didn't you? (laughs) Buy one gallon, get five gallon free. (laughs) The whole of creation waits for God's completion. Verse 21, that creation itself also will be set free from this slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Boy, let that sucker set in your brain and bounce around a little bit. The glory of the sons of God are free from the corruption of this world. When they receive the resurrected body, they are free from it internally and externally. To the point that all of creation is longing and waiting for that completion date. Get that thing done, God, because it is miserable here. For we know that the whole of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Because there's a freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I want you to remember this. The next time somebody throws at you, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Because all of creation is waiting for that glory to be revealed so that the futility of creation ceases. I like that. That's sort of one of those, woohoo, what's heaven like? That. 
<laughs> Heaven's not futile. She's <laughs> just like, what? Creation wants transformation. Creation wants the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 23 says, not only this, but also our, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our... See what he says. The soul's already redeemed. But I have a longing like creation in the futility because this tent I have is futile. Paul had had it with his body, worn, weary, his scarred, his body was limited, and he was ready for a new building. He wanted to get out of this tent. Now, listen, I want you to think about something here for a second, because we get a little sidetracked because we are still here in our senses. He's not speaking of someone who's got a mirror. Okay, see, I can go look in the mirror and long for a heavenly building. Right. Maybe you can't. I can. I can. Oh, gee. Okay. And the longer I look in that mirror, the longer I long for that heavenly building. Right. As time goes by, you find that you don't like to spend a lot of time in front of a mirror. It's, you know, yeah, it's good. <laughs> and now at my age, I don't even have to look in the mirror to comb my hair. I can just one, four, seven, seven, eight, but I'm good. I know I'm good. Why? Because I've done that for a few years now. And now my wife says, yeah, we've been trying to get you to stay out there. I don't think Paul was worried about the shape of his nose. Because this is a temporary dwelling place. Do you understand that this place, I want you to, and I'm going to try to say this as gently as I can, but you know how, what that means, right? This is going to be brutal. Do you realize that where you're at right now, on its best day, is only a hindrance? Every day. See, Paul is not concerned about the physical. He's not concerned about keeping in shape. Paul was concerned because he was sick and tired of the limits of his body. I was reading somebody and he says the human body in a Christian is the, quote, beachhead of iniquity, unquote. You're like, well, I ought to encourage you. (laughs) Woohoo! Omaha Beach! (laughs) It is where our flesh is. Remember Romans chapter 7, verse 24? Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this iniquity? Okay, you don't think it's not the beachhead of iniquity? I'm going to ask you a question. Be honest with yourself. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How you do with that? Because of the beachhead of iniquity, 
Limitations? Yeah, that's a good term. Okay? And you know what? The first time you think, well, if I was married to... Nope. Won't fly. That dog don't hunt. Because I've heard it. Well, if my kids were... Nope. Nope, 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 nope. The reason you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is purely yours. Own it. You are on the beach. (laughs) Being shot at. Please understand this. When the Apostle Paul, everybody says, well, he's talking about death. When the Apostle Paul says it is better to be with the Lord, do you realize what he's talking about? It is easy for us. Well, you don't understand. I haven't been to college. You don't understand. I haven't gotten my driver's license. You don't understand. You know what? All you're doing is feeding the beachhead. That's all you're doing. Flesh is the battle. By the way, your flesh is your battle. Okay, my flesh is not your battle. I appreciate your care and concern. And you know what? I have learned about my flesh. Now, yours may not be like mine. Mine works at it. Okay? To struggle against my flesh wears me out. It just becomes, not again. And you know what? Sometimes it's actually physical in what it does. And yet, I only have perfection when I get to heaven. So my longing to stay here is why? I, I don't know. Paul understood that he wanted to get out of this building. Why? Because the next building he gets into is from God. It's fixed. It's permanent. This tent is the best that I have right now. Paul is telling you and I. But do you understand that it's temporal? It's temporary. The house that is from God, he says. The house that is from God. Did you know? He uses a cute phrase. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's not cute. I think it's a neat phrase, cutely neat phrase. Okay? It's not made with hands. Okay? And that fascinated me. It's not made with hands. What does that mean? Not made with hands. Well, that means God made it. Well, there's got to be more to it than God made it. What does that mean? Well, remember in John's Gospel, chapter 2, the Pharisees confronted him. And he says, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Remember that? And they brought it up as his trial. So you're going to tear down the temple. Okay. Um, We like to hang out on that, but I wonder if we really pay attention to the meeting because it is described and defined to us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 58. At his trial, we heard him say, the Pharisees, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. There's the same phrase again. What did he say? The resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ was not made of hands. 
It was made without hands. This building that Paul's speaking about in 2 Corinthians is something that is made without hands. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? I thought you'd never ask. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. The context says, In him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he's speaking of circumcision here. And it is done without hands. It is not a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. So I can see that the body of Jesus Christ is a resurrected body made without hands. I can see that the regenerate heart that makes us complete in Christ is a resurrected heart that is not made with hands. All right. Chapter nine of Hebrews, verse 11. Hebrews nine, 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Okay, now then, the definition of what not made with hands is at the end of that verse. And you can take that phrase, whether it is Christ's resurrected body, whether it is circumcision of the heart, or whether it is the tabernacle that can contain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it? Not of this creation. That's awesome. You think about it for a second. Remember the guys went up out of the hill with Jesus and he pulled back his humanity and revealed his glory and... Uh, Moses and Elijah were there. Remember that? And we, we should stay here. Okay? And all it was was a fleeting glimpse. Whoop, boo. And covered it back up. That's what it was. There's coming a time when the glory of Jesus Christ will be revealed. Okay? His glory is so massive that all of creation can't contain it. Read the end of Revelations. Okay? When His second coming comes, it isn't going to be said, well, you think that's Jesus? Okay, His second coming, everybody's going to say, I need to get under a rock. (laughs) Well, that's what it says. Well, not quite that way, but it says, you know, even those hiding under rocks are going to go, "Uh uh-oh. You can't maintain it. So the tabernacle in heaven... Who has been entered into by Jesus Christ maintains his glory until the revealing of what? The sons of God. And then all of creation says the futility is over. And it gives a whole new meaning to the hallelujah course. And what you understand is whether it is the new heart, whether it is the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, or whether it is the temple that is in heaven, it is not of this creation. 
So Paul says, I'd rather check out <laughs> and not be of this creation. Christ has a body that is not of this creation. The circumcision of the heart, the new heart that is in Christ Jesus, is not of this creation. The glory of Christ to enter into the tabernacle is not of this creation. His glory is not earthly. The spiritual is not earthly. It is not of this creation. Paul had a desire for a permanent, fixed, settled building made of God, not of this creation. When I listen to people try to tell me what heaven is, the streets have got gold and there's trees of gold. And, you know, dude, heaven is not of this creation. He gives you little pictures to sort of, oh, hang an idea on that. But it's not of this creation. You've got to understand that. I don't understand not of this creation. All of creation is groaning in futility. Heaven isn't. I don't know what that means. But when you get there, you will. What Paul is saying is that this building is eternal. This building is in heaven. It is a heavenly body. It is eternal body. You know, I kind of look at it from this viewpoint. And, and you guys know how I am. I, I like to keep things kind of on the simple. All right. <laughs> it's a classier house in a classier neighborhood. Well, isn't it? Look, I got out of the pup tent. Well, you know, that's what they say. If you go to a realtor, what do they say? Location, location, location. Well, this is in heaven. Good location. Good location. Paul says, I want to be there. I want to be there with a body that is fit for that place. I want to be a body that will be forever perfect. A perfect vehicle for the transformed nature. Let's be realistic. Right now, as a Christian, I have a transformed heart. It is in an obsolete, beat-up jalopy trying to get it around. That in some cases, you would call the beachhead of iniquity. But I have this transformed nature and it's just not comfortable in this old piece of junk. My transformed nature says this doesn't smell like a new car. A vehicle that will have the ability to only perfectly praise and worship God forever and ever. That's why the Apostle Paul could look straight in the eye of death with confidence and he was always glad. You think about that for a second? I can look at death and be happy. But when you start looking at what you have here versus what is there, how could you not be happy? You know what I was thinking? I remember years ago somebody told me, says, you know, what does it take to steal your joy? And, and you can go through a whole bunch of things that, that are bummers, especially if you're a beachhead. 
You know what is amazing to me about the Apostle Paul and the time that I have spent with him? Death couldn't even steal his joy. He knew that the next home is the best home. My prayers are that we will step into that realization and have a confidence and a boldness that says, you know what? I want to be wore out for Jesus. Just wear it out. And if it is elongated time, fine. If it's a short time, fine. If it's the rapture, that's cool too. Take any of them. But the process is, if I'm focused on the things above, the eternals, whatever is happening around me, has no effect on me. Even to the point that if you go to the doctor... And he says, you got a spot on your whatever? Or we found a growth on your fill in the blank? Even if you got that, he's like, that's all right. My doctor hates seeing me. I keep giving him a hard time. I said, well, just how long are you wanting me to live, dude? He goes, what? Well, you got all these plans for me. You think I need to be doing this and doing that and all the rest? How long do you want me to live? Because I don't think I'm as hip on it as you are. Well, you know, you've done really good considering. That's like, considering what? You got to understand something, Doc. They were taking large dollar bets that I wouldn't make 25. My family on the man's side, none of them ever got out of their 40s, mid 40s. 44 was the oldest. Dude, I'm cream of the crop. All right, so we can sit and say, well, I don't do this. It doesn't matter, man. You don't understand. And the key to it isn't, well, you know, Terry, he didn't expect him to get it 30. He's, that's why he's all jacked up about dying. No, that ain't. Because I do have one flaw. On my mom's side, you just couldn't kill them buggers. <laughs> I'm kind of figuring an average, you know, late 90s, early 100s was very common. And these were with people who, shall we say, didn't really take good care of themselves. Moonshiners and weird stuff like that. And they were making it in their 90s and 100. John Henry died at 103. And he smoked for 80 some years. Okay, and it was a moonshiner. Health specimen of health. But I do know this. I want to be completely poured out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the only reward that I am looking for in my existence is well done, true, faithful servant. I ain't worried about any of the rest of it. Okay? The Apostle Paul cut a path for us. We need to look at it from Paul's perspective. Because when you look at it from Paul's perspective, you cruise through this thing and you just got a a smile on your face. Why? What are you going to do? Kill me? Really? Bummer. Then I get off the beachhead of iniquity. All right? 
It is that simple. I mean, people keep looking and thinking, well, there's more. No, I'm telling you, that's it. I've just laid it out for you. Probably not as in-depth as I had to go through it. But go back through them verses and you tell me what you come up with. Because I'm looking at the resurrected body of Jesus Christ saying, I want one of those. And if it comes through the rapture, yeah. If it comes through death, yeah. If I have to stay here a little longer for the furtherance of the gospel, all right. Not as much enthusiasm, but anyway. Okay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother Paul. Father, just the time that you and the amazing things you've shown in just my short life. Lord, I pray that each of us search our souls, the power of your spirit, the authority of your word, and say, Lord, come quickly. But so be it, Lord. If I must wait, let me be about your task. Father, you have already done exceedingly abundantly what I could ever think of. And yet, Father, you're not done. And I praise you for that. I praise you for the privilege of proclaiming your truth, of walking with the saints, and of resting in the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.